Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Raina Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. I'm actually surprised that your rant line, raid line, whatever, isn't completely full. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Michael Castillo for this? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Scratch, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. I can't believe it. Let's open up that race Woohoo! Oh, I can't believe USD has hired Lincoln Riley. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Rain of Troy Radio, episode 480, coming to you on Monday, April 3rd. We're going to react to USC's huge signing of Deuce Robinson, the five-star tight end, talk about spring camp, blue bloods in college football, and so much more. As always, feel free to follow us on social media. We're Reign of Troy on Twitter and Facebook. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We are there. Our email address is reignoftroyfansetter.com, and I'm your host, Michael Castillo, joined along with my co-host here in the Reign of Troy studio in Los Angeles, Elisa Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello. Uh, we are back with uh, a big one. I, I think a, uh, like a like a five-star one, I would say. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely five star podcast. That's what our reviewers think, and we only hope to be worthy of the five star tight ends that come into our lives. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as always, you can leave us a review over an Apple Podcast helps us grow the show, and you can join us live uh, every Monday, like we are right now, five p.m. Pacific, over on YouTube, as well as joining us in our YouTube membership, where you get members only content. Uh, like the video that we posted last week, uh, which talks about some of the viral worthy moments and tweets of uh, of the month of March. And we talked about things like, uh, um, what are we talking about? Andrew Voorhees. We talked about Lincoln Riley and ranking the uh, Pac-12 coaches. Uh, we also talked about um, potential new uniforms like we, these. We, we discussed, yeah, the fancy little graphic that you see there is what is available over on the YouTubes to our premium members. So Yeah. So yeah. Uh, go check that out um, over on YouTube. If you're not listening uh, currently on YouTube, uh, go over there and check us out and subscribe, help grow the channel and become a member uh, and um, yeah, join the rot squad uh, and uh, join the discussion over on discord as well. But Alicia, there's a lot to talk to talk about in this episode. So let's get right to the news. All right. We knew that Deuce Robinson needed to make a decision or wanted to make a decision by the beginning of April. He has made it. Uh, he made it clear on Friday that he is signing with USC over Georgia. The Trojans announced him. It's all official. He is signed on the dotted line. Uh, the six foot six, 225 pound tight end out of Pinnacle High in Phoenix is a Trojan. He's a seven, 17th overall uh, recruit in the 24-7 sports composite list for uh, the 2023 class, the consensus number one tight end in America. Uh, and here's one for you. He's the number two tight end in the history of USC recruiting, basically this century, uh, since the recruiting uh, scene began online in the early 2000s, the number two ranked tight ends in terms of 
as a recruit coming out of high school, uh, when we were putting together the rundown, I was asking you, Alicia, if you knew number one, you, you guessed it right. Um, I think it was your, like your, your second guess, but, but you got it for, for, for you at home or joining us in the chat. Any guesses on who number one is? I can say that uh, I was able to guess this because I, uh, an aficionado of tight ends, was very, very, very excited about uh, about this player and about the future for this player. Um, and, you know, it's interesting looking at sort of the history of USC highly rated uh, tight end recruits. Um it's 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 a little bit of a mixed bag. <laughs> a, a little bit. Uh, by the way, it is fitting so, that Deuce Robinson is number two. Yes, Deuce. on that list because uh, his name is Deuce, of course. Uh, no, number one is Blake Ailes, uh, the number one ranked recruit of all time to, to sign with the Trojans as a tight end. Uh, Tim in the chat says Fred Davis. It's not Fred Davis. Fred Davis signed as a, a wide receiver. Yeah, uh, for the Trojans back in two thousand four. So sort of fitting given what yeah. he was able to accomplish as a tight end. But yeah. it, it is kind of funny when I, when I think of Fred Davis, when I think of like highlights and stuff, like I see very much a tight end body. Like mm-hmm. it's, he weird. was a big dude. It, it's, it's wild to think that like he came in as a wide receiver and yeah. uh, you know, that that's not a transition that happens, you know, pretty regularly around college football. But I just like, I don't think of him as a wide receiver body at all. Like he was, he was all tight end. Yeah, I I remember when he signed at SC and that summer going into in the, the 2004 season, like it was him and Dwayne Jarrett were two of the big receivers in that class, and which one was gonna gonna step up um, as a, as a freshman, and uh, it was Dwayne Jarrett. Dwayne Jarrett was the was the wide receiver, and then eventually uh, Fred moved to tight ends. Uh, you might remember this little nugget. Uh, Fred Davis was the uh, the wide receiver who played quarterback ahead of the uh, 2006 Rose Bowl to mimic Vince Young. Yeah, more you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was. <laughs> that's. I, I'm not it's sure it helped. Job. I'm not sure yeah. it helped, but uh, maybe it wasn't yeah. fast enough. I don't know. I I, I don't know if there was anyone. Um, anyways, the uh, the rest of the top five. Uh, recruits coming out of high school for tight ends for the Trojans. Number three, Xavier Grimble. Number four, the one I would never would have gotten was Chris Barrett, 2004 class oh. as well. Uh, and then uh, Alex Holmes was number five. Yeah, I mean, and and like that's why I said, like of that five, if you ex- obviously exclude Deuce Robinson because we don't know yet, but Alex Holmes is really the the one who panned out the most. I think Xavier Grimble was able to play and it was able to contribute, uh, just had injuries. I feel like every exciting tight end that USC has brought in, in the, in the past decade has just been dealing with injuries the entire time. I mean, just think of like Jude Wolf and Ethan Ray and all the excitement about them. Uh, Josh follow dealt with a lot of injuries throughout his career. Like it just feels like everybody, um, was, has been knocked about as, uh, as, injured uh so hopefully the injury bug doesn't strike deuce robinson but um yeah it's it's like you said the number two tight end that usc's ever brought in in terms of a recruiting ranking and uh and we do want to acknowledge usc in the graphic (laughs) that they announced his um his signing they have him listed at wide receiver but I think this, I, I think, this I think goes this to is what the, you always say about tight ends in 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 this offense. Like it's just an they're sort receiver. of interchangeable, right? Yeah. And and the other thing is like you know, looking at the press release that SC put out, uh, they say all American tight end, tight end yeah. is written all over it. So uh, it is flexible back and forth, and um, it all begs the question uh, or leads to the question. Uh, what will we expect from Deuce Robinson in year one? We've talked about it last week uh, on on the podcast. This is an interesting time for USC's tight ends, not only in this offense, the Lincoln Riley offense, but this is a, a group that is sort of, you know, in flux, not much depth there. There's Lake McCree, there's, there's Jude Wolf. Um, Epps is into the transfer portal, in comes... Uh, Robinson, we know that uh, there's going to be what Kate Eldridge 
uh, is an athlete who's going to end up playing tight end. Um, uh, Walker, um, that I can never remember his last name. Walker, what? what? Walker Lyons? Walker Lyons uh, is not coming this year. He's coming next year. So um, kind of an interesting period for the tight ends. But what does that mean for Deuce Robinson in year one? What do you expect of him? Uh, we have a chat uh, or a poll in the chat currently uh, going in 62% of uh, of our listeners right now say that uh, Deuce Robinson will have between 26 and 50 catches. Um Alicia, what's what say you? I I think it would be extremely exciting if Deuce Robinson was able to do something the way that Drake London did in 2019, um, which I think would be very fitting because there's a sort of back and forth in the chat right now about the tight end wide receiver of it all and whether or not he will be used as a tight end or a wide receiver. And I think it's pretty clear that USC isn't bringing Deuce Robinson in to block. They're bringing him in to catch the football. Right, yeah. And one of the things we talked about in 2019 with Drake London is that he was essentially serving the tight end role in that offense. People, This is why people were complaining a lot about, like, USC doesn't use the tight end enough. And I would sit back and say, well, USC uses Drake London, though. So, like, that's what you want. You want what you're getting out of Drake London. Mm-hmm. So again, it's really just the inside receiver. It's an inside, a, a large bodied inside receiver. Yeah. Um, that, uh, that, that you can sort of expect here. You sound like you're talking about planes, wide bodied, <laughs> narrow body. Yeah. Um, but what Drake London did in 2019, 39 catches, 567 yards, extremely effective, uh, in that season, despite there being, very, very good receivers as well. You know, you have Michael Pittman, you have Alman mm-hmm. Ross St. Brown, you have Tyler Vons. Uh, so it's not like he was a tight end. Uh, it's not like he was an inside receiver who was getting a lot of run because there wasn't anybody else there to do it. Um, it was because he demanded that kind of uh, production and he produced that way. And he took advantage of the attention on the on opposing defenses having to pay attention to people like Michael Pittman and Alan Wrestling Brown and Tyler Bonds. Um, so is that out of the question for Deuce Robinson to sort of replicate what Drake London did with, with 500 yards? Um, I don't think it's out of the question, even though it still looks like a crowded receiver situation. It still looks like um, we don't know where you're going to have room to feed Dorian Singer and yeah. uh and you know Brendan Rice and Taj Washington and you know take into account Zach Branch, Zach Branch who's coming yeah. in and, and apparently lighting up in spring camp. So there's a lot of guys who are going to be out there trying to eat. Um not to mention that you already have somebody like Lake McCree uh who is is uh we have seen on a college football field making very good catches and and being warranted of of having targets. Um, so it, it's, I think it would be very, very exciting if that's what Deuce Robinson done. It does. Is it what I'm expecting from Deuce Robinson? No, because I never try to put that much expectation on a true freshman. Um, yeah. You at the tight, you know, at the position that he'll be playing, which let's just, I'm just going to say tight end, but what we, what we mean is inside receiver, um, is, potentially always room for there to be injuries. There's always room for there to be shakeups in the lineup and all of that kind of stuff. So maybe he does just carve out a role immediately, but uh, yeah, I think, I think if you're looking at it and you get him 20 catches, you got to be really satisfied, I think for year one. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, looking back historically to sort of lay the groundwork here for where you can start with expectations. Um, yeah, Drake. You mentioned Drake London as an inside receiver might be the best direct USC comparison because freshman tight end at SC, tight ends at SC. You you go back to 2011, um, redshirt freshman uh, Randall Telfer and Xavier Grimble, uh, 26 and 15 catches for Telfer and Grimble respectively, uh, 273 yards and 144 yards, and each had five touchdowns. They were huge weapons for the Trojans inside the red zone. And I think that that could be an option for what we see with Deuce Robinson, because you can compare him maybe to Mark Andrews. You look at Oklahoma 2015 as a, again, red shirt freshman 
uh, in the OU offense. 2015, the first year that Lincoln Riley was the offensive coordinator at OU. 19 catches, 318 yards, and seven touchdowns. That's kind of in line with what I sort of expect to see from uh, Deuce Robinson, where I think he is going to be potentially a very dangerous weapon, but maybe not extremely productive when it comes to catches. Maybe productive in in terms of impact, um, predominantly in the red zone and stuff like, and stuff yeah. like that. But in terms of catches, I don't necessarily know that that's what you're going to see because look back at last season. SC had seven different receivers with 20 or more catches. They had 10 guys, uh, sorry, 11 guys who had 15 or more. That is insane. 11, 11 dudes had 15 or more catches. Compare that back to like 2012, uh, the, the infamous 2012 season in SC. Um, it was Lee and Woods who combined for almost 200 catches, and the next guy was Xavier Grimble with 29, and he was the only person with more than 20. So, like, this is going to be a completely different kind of distribution to where I don't know that a lot of these things are directly comparable. Um, I do I think that the other guy to sort of mention here is Daniel Minor Bebe. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Yeah, we got to bring that one back. Um, strictly because in, in 2016, everyone talked about how in, how much of an impact he had, right? You've talked about it that, like, that was one of the outside of Fred Davis. Uh, Imanu Bebe in 2016 was one of the best tight end, USC tight ends you've seen. You've said that before, right? Yeah. Terms of, the yeah. dude had 17 catches, 250 yards, and four touchdowns. So, like, it's not like he was extremely productive. He was impactful. And that's sort of what I expect from Deuce Robinson in year one. Not right. not a lot of production, but impact. I think it's, if you're sort of looking at what the job that USC has to do with the pass catchers this year, um, I almost look at last year's charts and it, it, it kind of comes together really nicely. Uh, Jordan Addison is out, but Taj Washington, Mario Williams, Brandon Rice are all back. You plug in Dorian, uh, Dorian Singer, who we expect to be one of USC's top two receivers. If not one, then you expect to be number two. Mm-hmm. Um, then what's the other, what's the other name you have to replace? You have to replace Kyle Ford, which sort of fittingly yeah. is, is, the the what you're replacing in terms of of Kyle Ford. I mean, half of the time we looked at Kyle Ford and said he could be a tight end. So twenty you know. catches, three sixty five, and two touchdowns. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, so if that's what you're replacing, if if this is your Kyle Ford replacement, then I think you're feeling pretty good. And and twenty catches, three hundred sixty five yards, and two touchdowns would be pretty pretty good production for a freshman who uh, has so much competition that he's that he's going up against here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of just sort of year one productivity. So I think that's got to be the, that, that's got to be the angle. You got to sort of plug him in as your Kyle Ford, not just, not just in, um, and, and that sort of fits because Kyle Ford was not somebody who USC targeted regularly. Like it didn't feel like they went out of their way to make sure that Kyle Ford got the ball. Kyle Ford got the ball because he popped up in, in, in big moments for USC. He, he made well, critical first down receptions. It's the he, same way with, with Michael Jackson, the third. Yes. Yeah, exactly. If, if that's sort of your role uh, as, as Deuce Robinson, then I think you, you feel pretty good about it. Um, but it really does come down to, he's not, not having the advantage of spring ball. So he's going to come in in the fall. And there are other guys who have had the advantage of spring ball who have a leg up. Uh, if not multiple years on him in the program. So it, it's not going to be easy for him to just walk in and immediately command that kind of attention. But when you look at, at what he's able to do on a football field and just in terms of, of his size, which is very, very difficult to deal with, mm-hmm. um, his his uh, athleticism and, and uh, just receiving talent in general, it, it does feel like he should be on the field as a freshman. He reminds me in a way, and this is this comparison is kind of weird, but like in the sense that you just looked at Relique Brown and it was like he should be on the field. I, I know that he's a freshman. I know that he's still got a lot of stuff to work out, a lot of things to learn, yeah. a lot of things to pick up. But when you have that kind of unique, when you, when you bring something unique to the table, whether it's 
really brown speed or Deuce Robinson's size, uh, you got to, you got to make use of it. And I think that, I think that USC fans can trust Lincoln Riley understands that and will do that. And we'll make sure that, uh, that, that Deuce Robinson, assuming he's healthy, assuming he's up on the playbook, assuming his, his grades are in order, assuming all of these things that you would hope to expect of a, of a freshman coming in, um, that if he checks those boxes, he will be on the field in some way. Uh, that they will find a way to get him involved. And I think that's why I'm super excited because um, the coaches aren't going to waste a talent like like Deuce Robinson if he comes to the table mm-hmm. and is able to to do all the things that he needs to to get done to to earn the trust of the of, of the coaches in that sense. But uh, I think the excitement and enthusiasm of the coaches to use a player like him yeah. has got to be through the roof. Yeah, I, I would think so. I, I- I, you know, you just look at um, you look at how excited uh, Lincoln Riley is about him. He's excited about you know everyone who's talked about him is, uh, and you just watch go watch his highlights. Like the, he brings something to the table that SC doesn't have right now. Which to your point about Relique Brown, Relique Brown brought something that SC didn't have at the time. Right, yeah. so. Um, that's the key. Hey, that's the key to, to standing out when you have so many different dudes and somebody's going to be unhappy with the number of catches that they get just because there's so many guys, so many guys to feed that, yeah, I stand out, find a way to stand out, find a way to do something just, just slightly, uh, a little bit different. Um, uh, Ron in LA, uh, lower Alabama says is dudes on campus now, or will he start in the summer? Uh, he'll be here in the summer. Um, he signed with SC just last week, so um, which means he wasn't in, enrolled in uh, the spring semester. So he'll probably get enrolled in what, the summer semester and then join the Trojans then in May. Yeah, and um, in summer workouts. And the plan for the for for the the record, the plan is for him to see where he ends up in the MLB draft mm-hmm. and to enroll at USC with the intention of playing football while also being signed by an MLB team. And there's precedent for that in college football, but it is something to think about over the summer. Um, a complication for, for him is just making sure that all his, you know, stuff is in order on the MLB side of things yeah. um, because that can be done. We've seen that be done. Um, but uh, just need to make sure that that's all all settled and that that's not a potential like roadblock um, down the line. But uh, yeah, the the plan is for regardless of what happens with the MLB draft for him to come play football at USC. So then that is a relief, too, because there was sort of an underlying, well, is all of this for not because he's going to end up in in baseball anyways. Um, that doesn't seem like it's the the intention. Yeah. Yeah, as 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 Kenneth in the chat said, the Kyler Murray did that. I think I believe it was with the A's that he was signed with the A's, but still playing college football. So, um, which funnily enough is something that Lincoln Riley has experience with. So there you go; it's a Lincoln Riley connection. Yeah, and then there's um, Russell Wilson. Um, there's that guy who probably shouldn't be named from from Notre Dame. I don't know if you um, remember him. Smarja. You didn't have to say the I'm name. Sorry. You, I, I know as a Notre Dame grad, I've that's committed to so you. many Cubs violations yeah. against you uh, this week. So he's trust me. There wasn't a happier day than 2014 when the Cubs traded him to Oakland. Yeah. It was the happiest <laughs> days of my life. Anyways, uh, let's let's talk about spring camp. Uh, we 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 obviously have not been to spring camp, and spring camp is um, the access is not what it used to be. Uh, so one of the things that we want to go around here is um, take some quotes here that have been uh, put out there in, in various scrums and sort of comment on them. Um, talk about Zach Branch a little bit. Comes to SC as a five-star recruit, one of the you know top recruits in the country at wide receiver, a, a position group that is just jam-packed and someone expected to contribute from from jump. And he's sort of already doing that. Caleb Williams on Branch says, quote, Zach Branch is an explosive little dude. High energy, high effort, just trying to keep all of that and put it into one and make sure he is a complete player. He's been doing an awesome job. 
Yeah, and literally every piece of media of of commentary that I've seen coming out of spring camp has discussed the fact that Zach Branch looks the part, that he arrived not looking like a freshman, that he doesn't uh, comport himself like a freshman. He is a, 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 you know, a pro stepped right in and has already inserted himself into the wide receiver group. And that's the kind of thing you love to hear, especially about a highly touted uh, recruit coming in who just picks up the ball and runs with it. And Mm -hmm. uh, USC has seen freshman wide receivers who came in in spring camp and got their stuff ready to go and and were, were, by the time fall camp comes around, are already just like established veterans, essentially, and go off and and, and have incredible freshman seasons. So... um, it is exciting to hear this kind of talk about Zach Branch. Now, everything that applied to Deuce Robinson applies to Zach Branch. It is crowded in this wide receiver group. Yeah. It is the touches will not be easy to come by for anybody. Um, especially like if if Relic Brown is getting looks in the slot, that's another guy that you have to contend with mm-hmm. as far as uh, touches that are that they're going to try and find ways to get players involved. So. There is a lot of competition, and that is exciting because that means if you see Zach Branch on the field, if you see Deuce Robinson on the field, it's because they're really, really, really good, and that is reason to be uh, very, very excited for USC. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see how all the um, the receivers and all those different uh, weapons sort of come to work together work, work as one and uh, be a big productive source uh, for Caleb Williams. It's again, it's one of those things that I keep having to convince myself. SC has the returning Heisman winner. Like that, that's just weird to think about. Yeah. Um, it's that's the, those, that's who you want to pair with, with this kind of receiving core, this receiving core that is so insanely deep, yeah. the deepest receiving core that SC has ever had, which is something when, SC has had so many different receiving cores to be able to still put a, a qualifier like this is the blank about a re- USC receiving core is still nuts. And this is the deepest one. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a big deal. Uh, let's talk about um, Kyle Bars, who comes over from Arizona, um, the defensive lineman. Who is he going up against in practice? USC's offensive line. So Justin Dietrich talked about him and said, quote, Keon, man, he's a special talent. He's already made me better in these six, seven practices. Just how strong he is, his inside hands, he's everything. Uh, feet, he's an elite player, and he's definitely making me a lot better as a player every day. That's that's what you want to hear from your center, talking about your, you know, presumptive starting uh, starting nose tackle. And uh, you know, Keon Bars is a is a guy who had a really really excellent uh, season with Arizona a couple years ago. Um, this past season, he he wasn't quite up to that uh, sort of flashy level, and so sort of trying to tap back into his his sort of peak level as a as a defensive lineman, and and I think that USC has to look at that as one of the key positions to take care of. And if if Keon Bars is settled in that position and and um, steps in with a physical presence and a, and a veteran presence as well. The same way that, uh, you know, th- we saw what a difference it made to have Stevie Tuukulavatu. Mm-hmm. Just the difference that the defensive line took just from one year without him to the next year with him yeah. was incredible from from front to back. Uh, so I'm not going to necessarily put like those kinds of expectations on, on Keon Bars because none of us saw that coming from Stevie T. Uh, but you look at it and say the difference that a very stout nose tackle can make for a defense is enormous. And to be fair, I mean, to be honest about USC's defense, they have not had that stout sort of anchor of a nose tackle in the defense in a long time, several years. And, you know, Stanley uh, Taufu has stepped in and and done a job for USC, but like he is not that 
he 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 is not and was never going to be that level of nose tackle like that yeah. i believe St- stanley came in as a linebacker like that's just not he was never going to be that level of nose tackle for usc so finding somebody who's just a bigger body in there could make a, a huge difference and i think this is one of the i think uh defensively next to the middle linebacker position um, or I guess both inside linebacker positions, this is the the position that I'm circling as if USC hits on this one, that will mean significant progress for the yeah. defense. Yeah. One of the replacements for Stevie T was going to be uh, Peely, Brandon Peely. And he never sort of got to that level that, that you wanted him to be. He was never an anchor. Yeah, he, he was he was never the guy right there in the middle that was just going to be that that anchor. And um if bars can be that guy, yeah, it definitely unlocks everything else like you talked about. It really starts from the middle and outward goes outward. You you look back at you know USC's best defenses of you know the past two, three decades, and it all starts up front, obviously. I, I know that's a cliche, but it, it really does. Uh you look back at uh, Cedric Ellis and how how much Cedric Ellis factored in uh, in the middle of the Pete Carroll era and what he did for everybody else around him. So uh, obviously if SC can get anything, a fraction of Cedric Ellis's production, uh, you'd feel really good about the Trojans defense. Um, Let's talk about Sierra Wright. Um, Lincoln Riley talked about his improvement saying, quote, he's been of one of, to me, the breakout players, um, it sounds weird to say a breakout player for a guy that started nine games for us last year. You don't typically say those things together, but his improvement and some of the playmaking that he's had has been substantial. The difference has been as substantial as anyone on our roster through six practices. Yeah. And I, and I want to call attention to Riley's addition to this quote about the importance of confidence for a player. Um, it's amazing. You can take the same player, the same call, the same scheme, the same techniques, everything. And if he does all those things with confidence, the product can be two completely different things. And that's what we're starting to see out of him and several other guys on the defensive side of the ball. And then in turn, you start putting that together and then the whole product has a chance to play really well. Um, that might be the most encourage inducing uh, encouraging inducing quote that could possibly come out of spring camp for me because I think it it hit on something that I I hadn't really put together in my head very well uh last fall which was we had a lot of conversations you and I about the first half of the season and the second half of the season what happened to USC's defense and Eric Gentry getting injured was something that we put a pin in as, is this the reason? And then he came back obviously still hampered by his ankle injury, which he needed to ultimately have surgery on. So clearly that was not a a minor thing. Um, But like when he came back, it didn't, it didn't seem to fix the things that we thought it would fix. And I think one of the things you can point to about what changed, maybe it was Eric Gentry going out and it was more about Eric Gentry going out and there being a step down in production. I mean, in, in, in what the defense was able to do and thus a complete and utter lack of confidence for the defense, because by the end of the season, that defense played scared against Tulane. That mm-hmm. defense looked like they, nobody had any idea what they were supposed to do. Yeah. Uncertainty across the board, which was kind of why it was, it was exciting to see Rajon Davis go in there. I think that was maybe the difference between Rajon Davis, like, like getting his shot was just like, he stepped into the game as a guy with some confidence and made a couple of hits. And like, we hadn't seen any confidence from anybody on that defense for, for a while. And that's maybe why it stood out. Um, so I think that this is a really interesting quote specific to Sierra Wright. Absolutely. Because one of the narratives at the start of the season was Sierra Wright's been one of the big winners of fall camp and look, he's going to be a starter at the start of the season and he's really come along. And then sort of there was the, 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 the letdown as, as things go on, but you could see that from the entire defense, the entire defense at the start of the season, they were playing fine. They weren't an elite unit by any measure, but they were a capable unit that was getting the job done and it was getting turnovers. And they were, they had a swagger about them. And then 
when the turnovers dried up in the later season, in the late season, and they started giving up points and everything like that, you could see that lack of confidence really take over. Yeah. And I will still say it's on the coaching staff to reinstill that confidence, to figure that out, to deal with it. Absolutely. And there was a failure on that front. But the nice thing is you come back into spring and you can take that unit that was completely broken down last season and sort of rebuild them in terms of, of, of the confidence that comes with knowing what you're supposed to do. And um, there's this quote that I really love because I think it applies to, I, I feel it very distinctly in, in my life, but um, it's, it, it takes twice as long, twice as long to put yourself back together as it does to fall apart. You can fall apart in an instant one bad day, one bad rep, uh, you know, and you can just suddenly lose your confidence um, and, and just be down in the dumps. And it takes a lot of work to pick yourself back up. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's what we may have to see from this defense. They were down in the dumps and it's going to take them all off season. It's going to take them a long time to rebuild themselves. But if we sort of view it from that perspective of, that it is hard work to get yourself back up to the point where you you feel confident in what you're doing, um, then maybe there is maybe there is real hope. Maybe yeah. there is real hope for they went through all of that last year, and it'll ultimately make them stronger in the coming year because maybe the understanding will be better that like this is a confidence problem, not a talent problem, not a personnel problem. Which you know, there's obviously elements of that but like that the ultimate issue is do you believe in yourself and your scheme yeah and i think it's more than just confidence i think that there was a lack of you know composure just in general um one of the and and there was pressing that we saw because because of the lack of confidence right and because of the lack of composure and all those things one of the key moments for me in that um is the utah game in the in the pac-12 championship game uh, Makai Blackman nearly has a uh, huge interception uh, late in that game. Does not get it. Goes through his hands. The very next play is the play where everybody, including Bryson Shaw especially, tries to strip the ball instead of tackle. Yeah. And seemingly because because like the the air was out of the balloon of the of the Makai Blackman. Um, you know, missed interception. And then, so you, I, well, now that I've got to step up and make up for it and I've got to like, you know, exert myself a, a little bit more and, and try to do this thing. And rather than just staying within yourself and just going out to make the play. And confidence plays a role in that too, because, yeah, because if you're confident in yourself and your teammates, the turnovers come. If you're not confident that you and your teammates can get a stop, then you have to press for the turnover because there's no other way that you're going to get a stop. Right. Um, these which, things, which is what SC had relied on was yes. those turnovers. Yes. But it didn't, in the first half of the season, it didn't feel like they were going out of their way to make sure that there were X number of turnovers every day. Right. It's just the turnovers were coming. And mm-hmm. that's partly turnover luck too. But I think a lot of it is they were just doing their jobs and, and then the turnovers came. And I think in the second half of the season, that clearly fell apart. So Mm-hmm. Um, just sort of hearing that a player like Sierra Wright is feeling more confident and feeling more certain and they're seeing positive reactions from him as a result. I think you can apply that in theory to a lot of different guys on that defense who need that buildup. And, and part of me wonders too, like if you're a player who this January didn't get called into the coach's office and didn't get told like, Hey, you should enter the transfer portal or whatever. However, that could, those conversations go like Mm -hmm. maybe you do come into spring feeling a bit better. Maybe you do come into spring thinking, you know what? This staff could have, could have processed me and they didn't because they, they believe in me and they see something in me and, and maybe Matt, that makes a difference too. Yeah. Absolutely. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what all comes of that. Of course, uh, I, I guess potentially in the spring game, but realistically um, in late August when SC starts the season, that's the, the worst part of spring camp, I think is the tease because you hear these things, you get excited for football and then you're like, yeah, how but many it, more months? Yeah. None of this stuff is provable for another five months. So uh, it's going to take a while. 
Uh, last little thing before we move on here is um, Lincoln Riley talking about the rain and potentially using it to SC's advantage, saying, quote, we've actually, even in February and early March, we scheduled some walkthroughs to the days that it did rain so that we could get out in it because you don't get to practice in the elements much. The guys know me. I'm always excited when it's going to be windy or rain or anything like that. That's a little bit of a changeup. It's a great ball handling. It's great for ball handling, great for footing. Uh, the game is just a little bit different when you get in those conditions and have to adjust. Uh, it's good for every position on the field. I, I think some of this is a little bit of uh, coach speak, uh, surely, but I think that it's a recent coach speak of, yeah, you, you want to be prepared for every little thing and being prepared for those elements and not falling apart of the, in those moments is a sign of being well coached. Right. Yeah. I just, I like the approach. I like the, the mindset of, okay, it's raining. This is not why we come and live in Los Angeles, Yeah, but let's make some use of it and let's make sure that we're right. getting the most out of it. And let's make sure that uh, we're taking stock of this is rainy conditions. And mm -hmm. guess what? We're going aughts in this year. Like maybe this is going to be a reality for us. <laughs> So, you know, I, I, I think it's a, go, a good mindset. Um, I think it's a, a, a positive spin that I appreciate as somebody who has not handled the rain in Los Angeles very well this year. Um, so I just sort of appreciate the, uh, the perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, big um, potentially, but you know, again, you, you never see these things until, until it happens. And then, we're going to overreact either way when it, when it gets to uh, November and it's rainy and whether or not SC fumbles or they don't, yeah. um, which will or will not mean anything about a practice in February. So that's how, that's how things are at sports. Alicia, you know the only good thing about football season being over? There's literally nothing good about the football season being over. It's just an endless wait until the fall. See, that's where you're wrong. It's tournament season. The best way to take your mind off the endless wait. That is true. I may not want to watch the men play, but the USC women are pretty awesome. Exactly, but it's not just SC. There's high-stake basketball moments all over the country. But you know what? They get even better with prize picks. So you're saying the only thing better than watching Juju Watkins is taking the more on Juju Watkins. Bingo. You can now turn your hoops knowledge and love of Juju Watkins into serious cash. Because you can now win up to 100 times your money on prize picks with as little as four correct picks. Turn 10 bucks into a thousand bucks with college basketball, NBA, and NHL entries. Best of all, Price Picks lets you get on the action on more than 30 states across the country, including Texas, Georgia, and California. That sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, download the app today and use the code Rain of Troy for a first deposit match up to $100. That's the Price Picks app with the code Rain of Troy for the first deposit match of up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hey, Hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Uh, let, let's talk about um, a conversation that I saw over on Twitter um, that I thought was very interesting. Uh, it's a basketball conversation, but I think we're going to steer it over uh, to talk about football. Uh, it's about blue bloods. Um, there was a tweet from uh, Bomani Jones. Bomani Jones was asked about whether or not UConn potentially winning the basketball national championship tonight, Monday night um, over San Diego state, whether or not that would 
let them become a blue blood, whether or not Duke, Kentucky, North Carolina, Kansas, et cetera, would let them into the club. And Bobani Jones says, UConn needs to challenge Indiana to a duel. If UConn wins Monday, they'll have as many national titles as Indiana. They've been uh, to fewer Final Fours, but more Elite Eights, which isn't something people think about, but I think it is fairly telling. Can Indiana still claim blue blood after being caught by a school like UConn? Question mark. The blue blood discussion in college football in college basketball is tricky because that concept doesn't allow for new entries and rarely expels old ones. Um, and he goes on to say that uh, he doesn't think that Indiana and UCLA can trade on their past at this point, but North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, etc., still can for what it's worth. So. This got me thinking, first of all, UConn is a blue blood as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, I know that this is one of the interesting things of we consider blue bloods to be sort of like this timeless thing. But as far as the last 30 years have gone, UConn is about as consistent as literally anybody else. So, of course, they should be a blue blood. But besides that, I want to talk about this with football. Alicia, where do you stand on blue bloods? I think blue bloods are one of those things where you just you just know that they are like it, it. You shouldn't have to make a list of blue bloods, and if you have to debate whether or not a team is a blue blood, then maybe they're not. Right. Uh. So yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Um. What West Texas Mike in the chat says: No one lets someone into the blue blood club. They're just there. Um, national titles under three different coaches, potentially. I think that's I, an interesting thought. I yes. Think I something that's just not one era. I think I agree with Bamani in, in a, in just sort of like a, this statement boils it down to me, um, which it doesn't necessarily create a, a, a standard by which we'd pick a blue blood, but it sort of boils it down to me. The uh, blue bloods are still spending old money. They can still trade on their past. Yes. And I think that that sort of that that kind of fits. It's it's the difference between a blue blood and a, a team that sort of uh, like Notre Dame to me is a blue blood. Yes. Even though they haven't even won, though they in haven't our won a yeah. championship in my lifetime. They are still. Like the 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 quote says, they're still spending old money and still yes. trading on their past. Right. And um, like someone like Oregon can't like they're, they're, they're even though Oregon has been one hundred percent like one of the relevant programs of of this century for sure in football. Uh, they they don't have a past to trade on. That's not if right. Oregon if Oregon. Went, didn't com- they, they didn't compete in football until 1990. Oregon, if Oregon yeah. had five losing seasons in a row, um, we wouldn't talk about Oregon anymore. Um, right. It's the same thing. The same was like Stanford. Stanford for the better part of a decade was a relevant program. relevant national program. Yeah, they have had multiple years of losing records, and they are no longer relevant at all. Where USC could go a decade without doing crap and still be. Every single year, people are asking, I, why isn't USC up at the top? Where is USC? Uh, what is USC going to be doing? And, and then the conversation becomes, when are they back, right? Yes. When, if they're asking if you are back, then yeah. you're, you Whereas, are. Whereas yeah. nobody's saying, is Colorado back? No. You know what I mean? Like right now, like they're arguing, is is Colorado something? Is not Not is Colorado back, which yeah. is. Sort of a yeah, that's a Which that's is a way why of, I think Nebraska is an interesting case study because yes, they too have had a long like they're in Notre the Notre Dame, Dame camp yeah where they've had a long stretch where they have not been nationally relevant, but we still look at them and think tomorrow they could be nationally relevant right one hire away from being nationally relevant yeah um, and if and if the hires don't work out we are asking the question of why. Was that why was that hire a failure? Yeah. So I, I've put together I, I think four categories for me for this. I think tradi- like the the categories go from traditionally, these are the traditional blue bloods, um, which are Alabama, Notre Dame, Michigan, Ohio State, USC, Oklahoma, Penn State, and Nebraska. 
I don't think there's any, there, there's no debates. Those are blue bloods. Everyone agrees that those are blue bloods. Those schools know that they're blue bloods and everyone else around them knows that they're blue bloods. They just are blue bloods. To, to Malcolm's point in the chat, like you can't become a blue blood. Like, like that category is just, yes, we all just know that they're blue bloods. We just grew up knowing that they're blue bloods. They just are, right? Yeah. Those, those what, uh, nine schools just are blue bloods. Then, to, so that's traditionally, those are blue bloods. Realistically, I think there is a second tier which these are schools that are realistically blue bloods, but not technically. And I think that not everyone agrees that they are blue bloods. Some people think that they are, some people don't. These schools absolutely think they are blue bloods, by the, by the way, from their own perspective. Yes. They act like blue bloods in reality, but they are still not technically blue bloods because they weren't born as blue bloods. This is Texas, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Florida State, Clemson, now in that category, and Miami. And Miami is even the question mark of that one, but I'm keeping Miami there. Like those, realistically, those are blue bloods in terms of what we talk about, what blue bloods are and what blue bloods do. They're in that category, but they're not like they're not made blue bloods. Like no one's pricked their finger with a needle. You know what I mean? They haven't become like true blue blood. Like, I'm sorry, Texas is not a true blue blood. They they took 40 years between national championships between 68 and 2006. Like, and. See, but why does that apply to Texas and not Notre Dame? Because I think the difference is that, that Notre Dame has to, to go back to West Texas Mike's point. Uh, Notre Dame has so many different coaches that were nationally relevant whereas Texas doesn't have those eras. Why is Texas the blue blood? Because people think that Texas is important in football, yeah. but you can't mention any team of notes about Texas, except for the sixties and the two thousands. You know what I mean? Like the, okay. and, and it's the same thing with Miami, like Miami in the eighties and the nineties and the early two thousands were arguably the best program in America. But like before that and after that, they're not there. So that's that means that they're realistically, they could argue that they're a blue blood, but they're not actually a blue blood. They're not really a blue blood. Florida State is not really a blue blood. So you can put them in the realistically act like blue blood um, category, but they're not technically a blue blood. They're not traditionally a blue blood. So the third tier for me is the practically these are practically like these are these are programs that spend money. These are programs that have big brands. These are programs that are nationally relevant. These are programs that conferences go out and seek to add them to their list. These are programs that their fans might think that they're blue bloods, but they're not blue bloods. Nobody else thinks that they're blue bloods but they are just nationally relevant and they're always going to be brands with the upward trajectory of getting onto that level of Texas and LSU. This is Oregon. This is Washington, Wisconsin, Michigan state, Texas A&M and Auburn. These are not blue bloods. These are nationally relevant brands, but they're not blue bloods. That's the, the, they're like, that's the practical sense of like, they're, they're relevant, but they're not actually blue bloods. And then you get to the to the fourth tier for me, which is the step under that. These are the guys who used to be like that. Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Colorado, UCLA, Pitt. And for, for laughs, we'll throw in Princeton. Uh, like these were the schools that used to be realistically blue bloods. They they used to be practically blue bloods. They used to be maybe in Princeton's case, traditionally a blue blood, but they surely aren't anymore because again, they're not really blue bloods. So they never stuck and they never got unevictable. Um, they never followed through like LSU and Georgia to actually win multiple titles and stick there um, or anything like that. Um, they fell off. They're no longer nationally relevant. So that, those those are my tiers. I I think that those tiers work, especially with 
like what a sexist Mike put in the chat from from Dave Woods, the podcast of champions, who said, "How quickly are is a team able to rebound and compete for championships once they get the right coach?" Um, I think that's a that's a good point, especially when you mm-hmm. look at like the formerly blue bloods category. Like, yeah, if Georgia Tech got the right coach today, it would still take them it'd a while. Still take yeah, they to, to get yes. back to being year to year nationally relevant. Yes. Um, if Florida got the right coach, they they'd be. Uh, they'd be in the discussion in two years. Yeah. If SC got the right coach, they'd be in the discussion from day one. Well, we literally just saw that happen, yes. right? Right. Um, but I think all of these categories, I think these categories, these tiers, as it were, I think they're a good way to categorize. I still think there's going to be debate. Um, I, I, I tend to, I, I think Texas fans would certainly have their argument for being a full-blown blue blood. I think Georgia and LSU fans would fight the good fight and try to convince you that they're a blue, a blue blood. Yes. Uh, all of those teams are certainly could make their But just case. because they meet the criteria doesn't mean that they are. Yes. That's the thing. And that's why it's so difficult because it's why what, what we went back to uh, what I, where we started this conversation from my perspective, you either are or you aren't. And we just sort of know yes. what, what is yeah. like, it's it's there's a feel to it. Yeah, and there's only eight that actually are. Yeah, the 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 rest are sort of pretending that they are, or hoping that they could be. But there's only eight that actually are. And to to go back to a, a thing that my dad always and talks even the about, eight, even the eight that you list there, yeah, only six of those eight are. Would I like stake my life? You would put Penn State on, and Nebraska in the second tier. Ah, uh, no. I personally wouldn't, but I wouldn't stake my life on them being if we did a national poll tomorrow and you had to have 75% of the population who agrees that you are a blue blood or else I die. Like, <laughs> I feel very confident with those top six. SC, Notre if Dame, I, Michigan, I, Ohio if, State. If I, put, if I said to stake Alabama my life on programs that would absolutely be voted with 85% of the vote, would go towards these programs being blue bloods. Yeah. I would put those, I would stake my life on those. And I guess that's kind of the point is yeah. like the, those are the blue bloods because <laughs> no one's going to argue. Literally well, no one's going to. Yeah. I, I, I can, I will hear you put Penn state and Nebraska into the Texas, Georgia, Florida, LSU camp. I will, I will hear. Because that. I think you could do Penn state, Nebraska, in, I, in the top, you could you could toss Texas in in one or the other. Like you could right. you can play around with some of these the, the, with, with some of these categories. But when it comes down to it, the top six in that top category, you don't play around with where they with yes. where they sit. The the reason I didn't put them, I I, I put Penn State and Nebraska into that blue blood cl- traditional blue blood category is because of the old money thing. Yeah. Like they are selling the old money. Well, like and like again, Penn State goes back to the sixties. Nebraska goes back to the you know fifties and the sixties. Like Nebraska has been com- not just not just like not relevant, but like actively bad for the for, last twenty years. For most yeah. of my college football fandom, and yet still every single I, season, my ears pr- prick up when a discussion of is this Nebraska's time? First of all, or- it's it's sad. It's very sad to me kills me you didn't experience nebraska being good nebraska being good was freaking fun it was so fun it it was it was so fun fearing nebraska um i remember when asu beat them and and tempe like that was like mind-blowing that 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 happened the the colorado game in 2001 where colorado beat them 62 36 chris brown ran all over them that was earth shattering. That was like, remember where you were at this moment because Nebraska was getting their ass kicked. And to think that we don't care now if they lose to say Troy is wild. But that's my thing is I don't think we don't care. Sorry for the double negative, but like as someone who's in sports media, like we pay attention to Nebraska. Yes. That's sort of the point. Right. And Cam says, just for argument's sake, SC didn't win in the 80s and 90s, won Rose Bowl, no natties, and nothing in the 2010s, won Rose Bowl. Yeah, and, and you know, you can 
you can also make the argument that if it wasn't for the Pete Carroll era, they, then SC has been over the last 50 years. Um, but the Pete Carroll era did exist. And yeah. the Pete Carroll era was a big nether dominant decade. And I think that SC's tr- troubles has not been reaching that, that um, uh, it, SC's troubles has been being consistent for decade after decade after decade in the sense that, because obviously SC went to the Rose Bowl under every single president up until up until, up until Trump. Oh, so yeah, it was Donald up until Trump, Trump Donald which was Trump was the first president who didn't see USC in a Rose Bowl. Yeah, which is mind blowing. But yeah. that, and that talks about the consistency that SC ever had, right? But at the same point, and to to what Cam is saying here, like SC was dominant in the twenties and the thirties. They were dominant in the sixties and the seventies, and they were dominant in the yachts. But between them, their SC was just in the practical category, right? Which is with the Oregons, the Washingtons, the Wisconsin's, the Michigan States, the Auburns. SC was on that level in those other decades, which I think only further iterates how much of a blue blood they are, that when they were bad, SC was on the level of where Oregon and Washington and Michigan State are now, right? Like that's what bad USC is. We talk about SC having a bad d- decade in the 2010s. They were still way... They still have more Rose Bowl wins than the vast majority of the yes. Pac-12. ASU would have killed for that era. UCLA yeah. would have killed for that era in the 2010s. Which yeah. is weird. It's weird to say, but it's 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 how it was. The, the 90s were, were bad for USC, but it doesn't mean they were nationally bad. So... Um, yeah. Well, what's your, your, your thoughts? Uh, we've got, we've heard from the chat, send us your email. If you listen to us on Apple podcasts and send us a tweet over on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you want to do, uh, reach out to us, uh, as well. So, uh, let's, let's wrap up this episode, uh, with getting over, uh, to the mailback. You've got mail. Uh, let's go to a message we got from Cameron. How in love is Alicia over the tight ends now that Deuce Robinson is committed to USC? I'm very happy. I'm very excited. Um, I am also, I don't know if you guys could tell, I'm also just like trying to contain my expectations because I have been, I I've put my hope in so many tight ends over the last few years. Um, And I've come away with a lot of disappointment <laughs> a lot of the time. So like, I'm just trying not to, just trying not to end up with with a situation where I've staked my tight end hope on on one dude and then things go wrong. The, the, Wait, hold on. Which button am I supposed to ways... press here? He makes me drool. I don't have that one. Oh no, I'm saying is it this one? I I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic Alicia because uh, that's what it should be because of the tight end stuff. But uh, you saying that you, you you don't want to get your your heart broken again sounds like pessimistic Alicia is out in full force. Yeah, I no. It's not that I'm pessimistic. I'm just like I'm just trying not to get hurt again. I am. Yeah, it's very exciting. But I'm equally like I'm also excited about Lake McCree. Like I really, really enjoyed watching Lake McCree play football. Yeah, when he was able to do so. So, uh, you know, I I. But uh, as I've as I've said in the past, like when we talk about me loving tight ends, like my enjoyment of Drake London was 50% like this is a wide receiver who's playing like a tight end. So right. like I've had that itch scratched by sort of uh, finding uh, the wiggle room in, in, in the tight end uh, discussion. Um, but you know, there's just something, yeah. something about like a six, six, 250 pound dude. And I, he's not 250 pounds right now, but like you could imagine him once he gets in a college weight yeah. room, like putting on weight and, you know, Six six two thirty five running around on a football field is just, just nothing like it. Yeah, always wondered like if if Aussies came to 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 play football, um, at the peak of their powers, I think they'd be a bunch of tight ends. Yeah, like like when you talk about like uh, um, Ben Griffiths was like six six and and built that way. Yeah. Uh, because Aussie rules football is basically like just tight ends running all over the field, like wide receivers jumping up and catching balls. Yeah. And that would, that would be fun. So, all right. Uh, we're going to wrap up the, the pod there. Um, it's time, just about time for uh, 
tip off over uh, in the national championship game. So we're going to go, uh, go over and watch that. Uh, so let us know what you guys think about Deuce Robinson, what you guys think about um, blue bloods and spring camp and all of that here in the comments over on YouTube. Uh, send us your emails, right up Troy at fanside.com uh, or uh, sound off on social media as well. Um, we always appreciate you guys. Join us here on YouTube next week, 5 p.m. Pacific. Be back with another episode. And if you uh, join our membership, you can join and see our members-only content, including last week's episode uh, where we talked about things like uniforms, Lincoln Riley, and where he ranks as a uh, Pac-12 coach, whether or not he is number one, uh, and so much more. So, uh, as always, we will see you uh, next time. See ya. Yeah, see ya. Also, sorry, uh, Jesse decided. Jesse's in the room right now. She decided to lay down right there. Yeah, she, she is off absolutely she's, she's not a visible. Shy. A but shy. if you watch the if you if you go watch the bonus episode, if you become a, a member and go watch the bonus episode, this this uh, couch right over my shoulder. She spent most of that episode just chilling in that couch. So some some Jesse. Yeah. Uh, Jesse to tempt you uh, yeah. to come over to be yeah, a subscriber. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. Uh, until next time, we will see you. See ya. See ya. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.